0: A few weeks ago, when I preached on gossip, I mentioned I would be preaching on, at some point, on gluttony. I decided this may not be a good week for it, so relax. But it's coming, Lord willing, at some point. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. The message this morning is not really a Christmas message. I think um, probably next week we'll hear a little bit more on that if I understand correctly. There are some uh, things in this passage that mention the Son, Jesus, and we'll uh, want to talk a little bit about that wording. But the message this morning really is about uh, no other name. There's no other name given whereby we must be saved. And we're going to look at a, uh, quite an area of passage here this morning, to kind of get the context and learn some things from different areas of this passage. As we think about actually this time of year and about Jesus coming to earth and as a baby and growing up here, you'll see in this passage there are a couple of places where it talks about the things that were predetermined from time past, things that were prophesied, things that were going to happen. And so God knew when Jesus came as a little child, was born of a Virgin Mary and, and grew up, that the end would be the fact that he would die on a cross, be raised again from the dead for our salvation. This was predetermined and understood by God, not necessarily Even those that prophesied nor fully and certainly not the people that were with him until after his death and resurrection. And then they began to get it together and figure it out uh, because of his teachings and also because of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So in chapter 2 of Acts, you see there the beginning of the church, you see the day of Pentecost. And we're going to jump down to verse 46, uh, the last couple of verses of that chapter. And I'm going to read all the way through uh, verse uh, 12, I believe, of chapter 3. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, or such as were being saved. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple, at about the hour hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, about three o'clock. And a certain uh, man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said silver and gold have I none but such as I have I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and he took up and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising God and all the people saw him walking and praising God and they knew that it was he which was set at alms, uh, for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as a lame man which was healed uh, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? We're not going to focus a lot on this particular passage, but you'll notice that and it reminds me a little bit of right now when you go into stores, there's often someone out there ringing a bell and they'd like for you to contribute to the Salvation Army, and there's a lot of other opportunities at this time of year to give and to share and so forth. And they were going to uh, Peter and John. They were going to the temple, and there's not. I looked a little bit into this, which gate this was, and there's a, some different views on exactly which gate it was. It doesn't really matter, but it's quite likely that he was not inside the actual temple area because of his infirmities and because of his not being able to walk and so forth. So they're going there for to pray. And there were often certain sacrifices and incense burned at certain times. And and they get there, and here's this man that that they often brought there to ask for alms. Because a little bit like you go in and out of a store, and I think maybe one of the reasons is that's where the traffic's at. So, you know, they're ringing a bell, That's that's where the traffic's at. Uh, going in and out, and and I don't know if you're like me. You know, you go in and out of there, and especially if you're going in to buy a gift or something for someone, you know, you feel guilty going in and buying something and not sharing here. You know, kind of how it works. I don't know if that was kind of the same idea here. <clears throat> this man was set there, and if you're going to the temple to actually worship God, wouldn't you feel a little bad if you didn't help this man out and and give him some little something? And so that's what they ask of Peter and John, and they said, we don't really have anything. And it's interesting, if you look at the church here, the early church, you can see it over in chapter 2, you can see it later. They basically had taken their goods and divided up to make sure everyone everyone had their needs filled. But they must have not, at this point at least, uh, Peter and John didn't have a lot, or maybe nothing. And they certainly didn't have alms to give, but they would have probably liked to. <clears throat> so they stopped and they said, well... We, we don't have that, but what we do have, we'll give you. And that's what I'd like for us to think about this morning. They gave what they could. And is that what you're doing? Is that what I'm doing? Maybe I can't write uh, a $10,000 check to some mission this year. Some of you can, and that's, that's wonderful. I can't do that, and many of you probably can't just take down, write down $10,000 to hand it to someone are you giving what you can to people? And, and I want to come back to this a little bit as we think about what they gave was not a physical thing. It was, it, was, it was physical in the sense that it healed him, but it wasn't money, it wasn't dollars. What they had, they gave him, and that was the ability to heal the man, which was far beyond giving him some coins. And as if you think about it, We have something we can always share with people. And Leroy in his devotion is talking about sharing the word. And we're going to see later where it talks about speaking boldly for the Lord. You may not always have to give to someone. And sometimes in our culture here, it's not even always wise to just hand somebody cash. But we should have something we can give them. And that is we can present the saving power and knowledge of Jesus Christ to anyone. And and such a blessing. I had a couple of experiences just this last week or so, and so opposite. And, I, and if you think about it, you can pray for me that I have the boldness to share uh, with, a, with a man that called. He had bought a clock off me some years ago, and he wanted another one, and he wanted a special clock, or whatever. That's all beside the point. But <laughs> when we got back together he's, and talking to him, and I said, I think I've got something for him. He goes, well, he said... I had a kind of bad news this week. He said I've I've got found out I've got a growth on my pancreas, and it looks like it may be cancer. It's not sure. And anyway, when I talked to him just yesterday, he he said it is. It's cancer, and and he's got maybe six months to a year. But he'd still like to get this clock. He'd like to enjoy it while he can, and so forth. And in the conversation, it just it didn't sound like he's a believer. And sometimes you can pick that up. What's interesting, just about a week before, I was driving somewhere, and a man called and needed some parts for one of his clocks. And I said, well, I can't write it down right now. I'm on the way to the hospital. I said, I'll, I'll uh, try to call you back, or you call me back later, or whatever. I said, I couldn't write down what he needed. And he right away said, well, he said, I want you, I said, I was, my mother-in-law was in the hospital. He said, well, I, hey, he said, I want you to know, he said, uh, you tell your wife we'll be praying for her and praying for your mother-in-law and you could, there was just a connection. You could feel it. You could just sense it over the phone. And when we got back together, he, I, I told him what was going on. He said, I just want you to know, he said, when my wife got home, we spent time in prayer and we're going to keep praying. And just the differences there in the people, how you could connect with the one. And so, oh, it was easy for me to then talk to the one that was praying and sharing. What about the one who has six months to a year, am I willing to give to him what I can, other than ship him a clock? That in a year from now, probably is going to end up on a garage sale or something. I don't know. I mean, unless God would heal him uh, or someone in the family. I don't know what will happen to it. But it's not worth much in light of eternity. Am I willing to give him what I can? Just that was my, something I thought about when preparing this message. Am I willing to give him something that will last him a lot longer than, than a clock you know, that, that he wants? Are we willing to give what we can? And then, if you go down into verse 12, you know, they gave him what they could, but they gave God the glory. How often do we tend to want to take the glory ourselves then? So let's say I would share the gospel with this man and he would, be, he would get saved. Would I give God the glory for that or would I want to pat myself on the back because I took the time to share something and he got saved? <clears throat> or maybe when you share something financially with someone or you share whatever it is, do you give God the glory or do you keep it for yourself? And I hope you give God the glory. Let's go on, and I want you to take your Bibles and read with me, because I want you to just kind of get this whole story and get the context of what's going on, and if you don't read along, you're going to be thinking about, I don't know, how many of you have a Christmas dinner today or a family get-together you're going to? Anybody? Seriously? No one? Wow. I could have preached on gluttony today. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, well, okay, so I can, we don't have to worry about the clock so much. Um. But I was thinking you'll be daydreaming. You'll be thinking about this family get-together or whatever, and you might anyway. So follow along with me um, so you can kind of pick up the context as we read (coughs) for a number of verses here. So starting at verse 13, and we're going to come back and look at some of these specifically. Starting at verse 13... He says the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the holy one denied the holy one and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. In other words, by the faith through Jesus Christ, made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And <clears throat> now, brethren, I want not that through ignorance you did it, and as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets... That Christ should suffer he has so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven whom heaven the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brother and like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which shall not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And I'll just make one note here, because I don't know if I'll talk about this later, but you see the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits, they didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in a resurrection, they didn't believe in much of anything. And so they were upset because Jesus was actually, or that they were talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. So if you don't believe in something, that would be a problem for them. And so then in verse 3 it says, And they laid hands on them and put them in... Hold until the next day, for it was now even tide. Howbeit, many of them heard the word, believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander. And by the way, this John is not like the John in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, um, it was probably a guy by the name of Jonathan who was also a high priest later. And Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of of, uh, of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doeth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved." Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was uh, healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. When they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, and finding nothing that they might punish them because of the people. And for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. And so they came back and they reported back to the people what was done. And they, they talked here again about this, and they said of a truth in verse 27, against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, they're praying here, Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, gather together. For to do whatsoever, thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thine hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. So we'll stop there and I want to go back to chapter 13 or back to chapter 3. And we'll go down to verse 13. You'll notice in this passage it says glorified his uh, son Jesus. Now in, in verse 13 here you see the word son. And if you go over to verse 26 it says son Jesus. And if you go over to chapter 4 verse 27 it says thy holy child Jesus and again in verse 30 it says child. But in verse 25 it says by the mouth of thy servant. And that word in the Greek and all of those passages means servant or minister or servant. It can also mean son or a child but generally it means someone who is a servant. So it's saying here that that Jesus himself was the servant of his father. If you go throughout, there's another place in Acts, and if you go out through a lot of Paul's writings, you'll see where it talks about the Son, Jesus Christ. The word is a completely different word, and it means primarily a son or a child. It's not the same Greek word. And so Jesus Christ being um, the servant of his father, and he came, Jesus says, I came to serve others. And he served us in the fact of what, what he did for us. He is a servant, and, and uh, he is to be glorified. It, it, and you see here, it says, hath glorified. God has glorified his son, Jesus, or his servant, Jesus. And God is going to be glorified. Jesus is going to be glorified whether we give him glory or not. Let's just make that clear. We, we should glorify him, but he will be glorified whether or not we do. Now, if you go into verses 14 and 15, and to me, this, there's a great paradox in these verses, and I want us to make some personal application here. It says that, that they, they're talking here now to these uh, Jewish people, and he says, you have denied the Holy One and the just, and those words were used for the Messiah. Jesus Christ was holy. There was nothing about him that was not pure and right and holy. And he was also just. His decisions were right. His government is right and his government will be right. But he says, you denied him and instead desired a murderer to be granted to you. Remember when they chose Barabbas instead of Jesus? And then it says, um, in verse 15, and killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, and he says we're witnesses of that. Now that prince of life could also be interpreted there, the author of life. Now here's the paradox in this. How do you kill the author of life? You can't do it, really. The one, the one that created life, the one that gives life, you can't kill him. Now, his, his physical body died, but I think there's a song or something about there's no grave can hold him or something like that. I don't know, but the fact is that is the truth. There was no grave, there was no tomb that could hold Jesus Christ. He was the author of life, and God raised him up. Now, here's how I want to apply this to you and to me. So, we would certainly say that, oh, I would never deny the Lord Jesus and ask for a murderer instead. Wouldn't do that. I wouldn't kill the giver of life. But when we knowingly sin, what are we doing? Aren't we denying Christ and Satan is a murderer and a liar. And so in a sense, when we willfully sin, when we choose to sin, I'm not talking about now we, <laughs> we, we miss the mark, we all do that, but when we choose, and I'm not saying we, we don't at times, but when we choose to sin, when we know something is wrong, and we choose to do it, we are denying Christ and asking and, and siding with a murderer instead. Because Satan is the author of sin, not Jesus. And then it says that they killed the prince or the author of life. God has given us life in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're saved, God has given you life. And when we choose to deny him and sin... We're in a sense choosing death over life. And the scripture talks about that when we willfully sin, we crucify him again. We put him to death. By our actions we deny him, we put him to death, and we side up with a murderer instead. So we can look at those we can look at those people standing there crying, Give us Barabbas, crucify Christ, give us Barabbas. And if we choose to live a sinful life, we are doing nothing, nothing better. In verse 16 through 18, there you see that, um, that he's saying that they did it in ignorance. And I don't think we can, we, sometimes we do sin in ignorance. <clears throat> but in verse 19, we see there the remedy then. It says, repent ye therefore... And be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And we're going to come back to the rest of that verse. You say, well, what does it mean to repent? Well, look over at verse 26 and it makes it very clear. Unto you first, God, having raised up his Son Jesus, sent him to bless you in what? In letting you know that you are now a sinner? He says, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities that's what repentance is it's turning away from our iniquities there's one thing to have the knowledge of our iniquities and there's another thing to turn away from it and that is what he's saying here you need to repent repent so that your sins can be blotted out I think sometimes we have this mistaken idea and I'm not saying again that as soon as we fail or we sin or something happens that we're removed out of the kingdom and then if we repent we're back in that's not what I'm talking about but when we choose to live a sinful life sometimes I think we have this mistaken idea that well we got saved sometime and it's covered and it's okay and, and, and everybody sins so it's just it's okay he says here repent so that your sins can be blotted out repent and be converted And in verse 26, it says that you turn from your iniquities. And that should be a warning to every one of us. If we're living in sin, we need to turn from our iniquities, that our sins can be blotted out. And then it says, when the time of refreshing shall come, or time of restoration. It's interesting, if you go over to Romans chapter 8 there, where it talks about that the whole creation... Uh, groaneth and travaileth, it says, until now. And why? Waiting for the redemption of the sons of men. It talks about the whole creation was made subject to vanity because of man's fall. And they're waiting for the redemption of the sons of men so that they too can be restored. I think sometimes, and I think somebody in Sunday school even this morning maybe mentioned we were talking about the first coming and the second coming and and not understanding everything about it, the second coming, the fact that what all will happen. I think sometimes our view of the second coming maybe shoots way below what what's, it's going to all be. There's going to be a time of restoration that I think goes beyond anything we can imagine. But he says here, if you want to be a part of that, Repent. So that your sins will be blotted out at the times of the restoration, the time of refreshing. When everything shall be made new, you can be a part of that. You can be a part of enjoying when everything is made new. If we choose not to, if we refuse to repent, we won't be a part of that. It just, it's not possible. Now I want to uh, go over here to uh, chapter 4. I need to move along here. Chapter 4, where it talks about the beginning there, you can see that those people were not willing to repent. They refused to repent. Instead, they decided that um, instead of repenting, let's just shut down the messenger. Let's shut down the messenger. Let's not listen to the messenger. Uh, The message they couldn't deal with, so they wanted to shut down the messenger. And... It's, we can do that same thing, not necessarily, I'm not thinking so much now, a messenger and a preacher or something, but have you ever been reading the Word of God and something stands out or maybe the Holy Spirit convicts you of something in your life and you're like, whoa, I hadn't thought about that. Is your, is your first thought to say, well, I need to change which is repentance. I need to change what I'm doing, how I'm living, how I'm thinking to line up with this. Or do we tend to say, well, it just can't quite mean that. Let me see if I can find... And we go through and we try to change the message or the messenger because we don't like the message that we're getting. When God, and often through His word, and the work of the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in our lives, it's easy to just ignore it. I've done it. You can try to, but if God's faithful and He'll keep pressing on that. The simple thing to do is repent and find peace and freedom. These people didn't want to do that. Now there was a number of them that did. It's about five thousand men that and and probably others that repented. They heard the message and they repented, but there were some that never did. And I suspect, I, I'm sure, that there are people who heard the message, who had seen what Jesus had done, who had seen this miracle, they saw it with their own eyes, or they at least saw what the result of it, refused to repent, and have had almost a couple thousand years now to think about the opportunity they had. And that they refused to take. And he points out to them that they refused Christ. They said, he was the stone that you disallowed, that you threw aside. You didn't want to hear it. And then he goes on to say in verse 12 there, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if you're here this morning and you're maybe because of everything we're hearing these days, you're wavering on this thing. Well, maybe there's other groups, maybe there's other, maybe I don't know. Is it, is, no, it's very clear. And it's, and it's based upon the fact, that, of course, of God's Word, but the fact that the proof was that God raised up his Son from the dead. And he is in heaven now until the time of restoration of all things. It says that he has to be in heaven. He's, he, he's only here through the Holy Spirit living in us. But Jesus himself is waiting until that time. And there is no other name given. There's no other name. And if you're here this morning and, and you're not saved, and I would like to believe everyone here of the age of accountability and older is, I'd like to believe that. I don't, I don't know. I hope so. But if you're here and you're not, there's only one way to be saved, and it's through Jesus Christ. And we, you know, at this time of year, we, uh, Gary was sharing in his opening for Sunday school, how he, you know, he enjoys the things of Christmas. It, it's, it's a wonderful time to enjoy all those things, uh, the things of Christmas. But, you know, it, that's what it is. It's Christmas, and, and outside of a recognition that I must be saved... By placing my faith in Jesus Christ, Christmas is nothing. It really is. It's nothing. Now, there are a lot of people that celebrate it. There are a lot of people that have all kinds of wonderful things that they do at Christmas time and never come to repentance and placing their faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 13, it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, They took knowledge of them and said they must be with Jesus. Do people recognize that I have been with Jesus? Do they recognize you've been with Jesus? Do they see a boldness in us that we're willing to share the word, to share the gospel? After they told them and threatened them, they said, don't you talk about it. In verse 20, chapter 4, he says... They said, for we cannot but speak to things which we have seen and heard. That's I'm, I'm not always like that. I confess, I'm not always like that. I try to be at times, but why not? Why am I not? They said we must speak. And if you go down into verse 29, and maybe this is part of it. Maybe we need to make this a... A daily prayer for ourselves and for others. If you go down into verse 29, in their prayer, they said, the group said, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word. And also, it talks about them having the ability to do signs and wonders that could be done by the name of Christ. And in verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. I don't know what exactly that means. I don't know if the place literally shook. I don't know that means if we would have that kind of permitting here that the building would actually start vibrating or if it was just shaken with uh, the Holy Spirit working in their lives. But it says the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they what? They spake the word of God with boldness. We have an opportunity at this time of year I think maybe it's maybe even more opportunity than at some times of year when people say something about have a good Christmas or whatever we have the opportunity do we have the boldness are we praying for the boldness to say something for Jesus Christ to share the gospel and something about Jesus Christ that goes beyond You have a Merry Christmas. No, we want to do that. Yeah, we want people to have a good Christmas, whatever. But as it go beyond that, are we willing to share that there is no other name given whereby we must be saved? Are we willing to share that with people? And are we willing to share with them that we need to repent, that our sins can be blotted out because someday we all want to be ready to meet the Lord, as they say, meet the Lord in the air at the time of refreshing that our sins will be blotted out and that we will have made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. And Lord, help us to remember all year long, but especially right now, Lord, as we think about the fact that you came to this earth in human form, so that you could suffer and die for us, so that you could share how to live for you in your life by an example, so that you could be raised again from the dead, so that we could have a means of salvation. God, thank you so much for that. And thank you, Lord, that your word and your Holy Spirit convict us. Help us, Lord, to repent when we sin, Help us, Lord, to be people quick to repent that our sins can be blotted out by your blood. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in that. And Lord, help us to be bold in sharing it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.